0: welcome to the box office watch podcast where you keep watch on how much money movies are making and why this is the show recapping the weekend of march 25th through the 27th 2022 my name is paulo and i'm your host Hope everyone is doing well out there. It's the day after the Oscars as I write this script, and boy, is there a lot to go over there. Uh, for the most part, though, I'm going to keep my thoughts on the Oscars and the winners and the incident, so to speak, uh, for my other podcasts, the uh, Oscars Death Race podcast, which will have its final episode later this week, um, at least for this season. Um, though for anyone curious, yes, I did manage to finish the Death Race this past weekend with about five minutes to spare, um, and I also made time to watch The Batman this past weekend finally, which we'll go over at the end of the show. Now, what I can talk to you about the Oscars on this episode on this podcast, though, is the business end of things, namely ratings. Um, according to Nielsen, yesterday's broadcast or yeah, yesterday's broadcast had fifteen point thirty six million time zone adjusted viewers, um, not counting out of home viewing or streaming. Uh, compared to last year's ten point four million viewership for that same metric, it's like a fifty six percent increase or so, which seems decent. But again, that total is still the second lowest viewership in Oscars history, with 2020's 23.6 million in the Parasite year being the third lowest. Um, The all-time most viewed ceremony for anyone curious is the 1998 Oscars, which had 55.3 million viewers. Now, as to what actually drove the rise in traffic this past year, there I think are a couple of factors. There had been controversy leading up to the Oscars that eight of the 23 categories would be pre taped and spliced into the broadcast in an effort to make the show, quote unquote, more appealing to a mainstream audience, which is what ABC desperately wants. I mean, who else is going to be watching those Hulu ads if they keep on playing during the show? Uh, despite that, though, the show was still a hefty three hours and 40 minutes long. Not the longest ever. That goes to the 2002 broadcast, which was a whopping four hours. Hours and twenty-three minutes long, but despite the best efforts to sort in the show, it was still longer than last year's three hours nineteen-minute broadcast. So, you know, this is partly due to the return of the hosts and the sketches uh, had something to do with that as well. But you know, back to in the increased viewership, I hope that ABC execs don't take these increased ratings as a result of you know cutting these broad, cutting the um, categories for the for like the skits and the hosts and and everything else um, you know because that's not what I I want to see there because obviously again we have a longer length here I think the easy answer is right there you know the Will Smith Chris Rock incident that probably is blowing up your social media feeds for the past couple of days um, that reminded half your family friends that the Oscars were actually happening uh, last night is the real reason people tuned in halfway through now on top of that though you know I think there's probably also a correlation between the bigger box office totals of 2021 and the bigger viewership turnout Right, Um, you know, Sir Spider-Man: No Way Home wasn't nominated for anything except Best Visual Effects. But you know, Dune made 108 million domestically, 400 million globally, um, and you know, it also had HBO Max viewership. It was up for Best Pictures and did well in all the technical categories. You know, not to mention No Time to Die had three nominations, and Don't Look Up was one of Netflix's most watched all-time films. And of course, Encanto dominating the Billboard charts. So you know, on the flip side, compared to last year, you know, the best the, the best performing Best Picture nominee was probably. Promising young woman, which made six million at the box office, um, and you know outside the other, you know outside of the the biggest film outside of best picture nominees was probably Tenet which I think made fifty eight million at the box office, um, or maybe *Soul* due to you know Disney Plus disabuse in terms of streaming numbers. In any case, though, I think there was just simply more movies nominated this year that people saw compared to last year. Um, in fact, you know, total box office for twenty twenty one was up twice that of twenty twenty, and even if you remove Spider Man No Way Home from the domestic numbers, you know, it's still a, a pretty decent increase over twenty twenty. So of course, you know, more people would tune into the it, it would t- tune in to go see uh, the Oscars. Now that's not to say the Academy should change their selection process to, for Best Picture to be all blockbusters. But it still I think underscores that, you know, as the movie industry as a whole does well at the box office, the Oscars will do better. No gimmicks or cutting of categories needed. Uh, in any case though Looking to streaming First it looks like You know The first Like four of the Best Picture nominees Each showed up In at least one of The major streaming per- uh, Purchase charts this, uh, The week before the Oscars um, In the top 10 uh, Dune and Liquor's Pizza Both showed up On Google Play And iTunes top 10 And then King Richard And Belfast On iTunes top 10 only uh, Further with Coda's win or Over Netflix For best picture Apple TV has become The first streaming platform To have a best picture winner um, Which kind of Might be a turning point For the Academy Now you know you kind of have to laugh at how much Netflix has spent over the last couple of years chasing big picture, best picture, only to always fall short. I mean, look at the last seven films, right? Last seven films over the past four years to be nominated for best picture. Uh, Roma in 2018, Iris Man and The Mirrored Story in 2019, Mank and Trial of Chicago 7 in 2020, and then Don't Look Up and Power the Dog 2021. Cumulatively, looking at these seven, they've spent $366 million in production budgets alone, the most obviously going to uh, um, um, Iris Man with 150 Something on uh production budget because of the, the aging technology, um, but they still, you know, these seven films and you know, over three hundred million dollars. Not no, uh, you know, best picture with so far. Though, granted, they do have wins in other categories. If you throw in other films though that want that were nominated for for lead acting positions, so you know, two popes, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Tick Tick Boom, and Pieces of a Woman. You know, those, you know, in those, you know, you could consider maybe be uh, best picture quality films. You're getting to about five hundred million dollars in production budget alone, not even counting any of the marketing or promotion or the campaigning necessary to get to try to get these in front of the academy's eyes. Um, meanwhile, you know. Apple picks up Coda for $25 million after Sundance and they get best picture on their first real shot. You know, I wouldn't really count their best sound nominated Greyhound in 2020 or, you know, and granted there is Tragedy Macbeth this year but still that's one for two as opposed to zero, oh for seven, right? Um, and, you know, that costs about probably, and Tragedy Macbeth probably costs about $20 million all told. Now, you know, with Net, with, Apple TV kind of taking Martin Scorsese away from Netflix, and you know, funding his Killer of the Flower Moon this coming uh, year for about two hundred million dollars. You know, Netflix is probably tearing their hair out. Um, the question will be, I think, again, the will these theatrically exclusive release films no longer get Best Picture? Or will it all be like these streaming services like Apple TV and? and Amazon, and maybe eventually Netflix as well. Um, we'll we'll see if that's the case, right? I mean, there's an ca- argument that you know these more prestigious films that, you know, may, that these more art house films that maybe, you know, with the art house market being not as strong, though there is a film there that we want to talk about that may be proving that con- uh, otherwise, but you know, with the art house market maybe not being as successful uh, a, a business model for uh, indie filmmakers, maybe going and getting picked up by a streaming service like, you know, Coda, you know, Sean Halo, the director, or, or and the screenwriter of Coda had said that, you know, they went to Sundance without any distribution in place. And after Sundance, you know, Apple picked them up for $25 million, um, which many said at the time was maybe a little bit overpaying, but clearly it's paid off for them. So um, maybe that's how the way Indies are going to go in the future to get their distribution is being my streaming service. And those are the ones who are going to get you know, pay attention to for Best Picture, you know, in addition to... Um, in addition to Fla- Killer of the Moonflower, um, you know coming out later this year, you know Apple TV also picked up Cha Cha Real Smooth, which is one of the you know top films at Sundance's last year, where which is where Coda started off. So who knows? Maybe Cha Cha Real Smooth will be talking about in a year from now. So anyway, that's just some you know the business end of the awards side of the movie industry, um, Oscar saga side. You know we still have a normal box office to talk about, um, with some interesting numbers going on this week. I'm really excited to talk about these ones. So, you know, in first place, we have a new film. This is Paramount's adventure, accent, comedy film, The Lost City, starring Sandra Bullock and Tanning Tatum, featuring Daniel Radcliffe and Bad Pitt. Uh, it opened in 4,253 theaters to $30.4 million for a per theater average of $7,160. Pretty much in line with expectations from box office pros of $30 million opening. Now, this is, has a 75% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes and a B on CinemaScore. So, this one, well, I think, will probably leg out to maybe a 3x multiplier, which is, with good word of mouth, putting at about $90 million or so for its domestic run, which is pretty solid when you consider the $74 million production budget on this and not even including any international numbers. Um, it's open in 16 smaller markets right now for about $3.7 million overseas, so do a little bit wider as the bigger markets open up. Uh, in second place, The Batman dropped 44% in its fourth weekend to $20.4 million in 3,967 theaters per theater average of 5,161, running a domestic total of $331.9 million. That pushes it past the final total of Batman versus Superman, which uh, is $330 million total. Um, overseas, it's made $340.9 million for $672.9 million worldwide. Um, you know, I think it's leveling off somewhat $400 million dollars uh domestic and 800 million worldwide might be a little bit out of reach at this point but uh especially with you know uh april 19th being its hbo max debut but you know you never know what could happen there it's it's pretty much i think doing exactly what uh captain marvel did but captain marvel uh had a late stage surge because of avengers ends game which i don't think the Batman's gonna have uh, in third place. Now this one is really interesting. Um, you know, a film called RRR or Rise War and Revolt uh, from Sarigamath Cinema. Um, now this one, if you haven't heard of Sarigamath Cinema is because they are an Indian production company. Uh, this is an Indian Telugu language epic period action drama film. That's a mouthful. Um, about two real-life Indian revolutionaries, though it is a fictional story of their exploits. Um, this was this one is directed by S.S. Uh, Rajamuli, who is best known for his epic action Baha Bully's two-part series in 2015 and 2017, which at one point in time were the highest-grossing Indian films of all time. Uh, this one is a hefty one at about three hours long, like Baha Bully, um, but it was made on a $72 million US dollar production budget. Um, initially, it was set to release in India back in 2020, but obviously the pandemic delayed that um, until this past weekend, where it actually was the number one film at the global box office, making 66 million US Dollars worldwide um, over the Batman's $45 million globally and the Lost City's $35 million. Uh, in any case, you know, here in the States, it opened in 1,200 theaters uh, for a $9.5 million total at 7,917 per theater average, which is even higher than the Lost City. So, well done indeed to that team over there. Um, I've heard that you know, this is one you definitely want to see in theaters, though apparently it's also going to be coming to streaming here in the States eventually. Uh, fourth place this week goes to week 6 of Uncharted from Sony, which made $5 million in 3,416 theaters per theater average of 1464 and a running domestic total of $133.5 million. Overseas, it's made $223.9 million uh, and $357.4 million worldwide to date. And then winding out of the top five is the anime film Jujutsu Kaisen Zero in its second weekend, which, as expected, popped off dropped off pretty steeply with a seventy five percent drop uh, in the ballpark of most anime films, uh, making four point five million in its, in two thousand four hundred eighteen theaters, which actually is a gain of theaters versus last week, um, but it has a per theater average of eighteen hundred and ninety two dollars and a running total of twenty seven point seven million dollars, so it probably cap out at about thirty five million domestic bites and the one. Now, outside of top five, Spider Man No Way Home at number eight officially crossed the 800 million mark domestically, which is only the third film ever to do so. Um, we also have a limited release breaking records, A24's Everything Everywhere All At Once, uh, starring Marcel Yeo and directed by The Daniels, which is the creative team behind Swiss Army Man, the Daniel Radcliffe corpse, farting corpse movie, if you know what I'm talking about. Um, this one opened to $509,000 in only 10 theaters, a stunning $50,966 per theater. Average, which is the highest per theater average of the year to date, and the third highest since twenty nineteen. Uh, it's expanding to thirty to fifty screens this coming weekend, and then it'll be wide nationwide April eighth with their first with a twenty four first first uh, film release in IMAX, uh, not counting limited event engagement events such as you know *Tragedy Macbeth* one day IMAX event globally, uh, with a ninety seven percent critic score and an audience, and also audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. This one should break out, I think. Um, you know, and then you know. We we'll also have some second weekend films from last week, which dropped off pretty steeply in the outside of the top ten. Nothing too exciting. A 24 X dropped forty-eight uh, percent to two point two million dollars. Um, Focus features the outfit dropped sixty-two percent to five hundred sixty-eight thousand uh, dollars, and then Sony's Uma dropped fifty percent of only four hundred sixty thousand dollars this past week. Overall, total domestic box office sits at $82 million for the weekend. Uh, This coming weekend, we see the wide release of Morbius from Sony Pictures, the latest in the Spider-Man really universe, starring Jared Leto in the titular vampire role. No reviews yet from Rotten Tomatoes, though uh, apparently they are going to be the embargo is going to lift t- less than twenty-four hours before the premiere, which does not bode well um, based on rumors. Box Office Pros has a forty to fifty million-dollar opening, uh, though I suspect it'll probably be lower, and people might end up going to go see I don't know uh, everything, everything everywhere all at once and would one of the thirty to fifty theaters, or more likely, The Lost City. Uh, looking internationally you know going back to Jujutsu Kaisen again it is now the 10th highest grossing anime film of all time worldwide with 156.3 million dollars to date uh, with 113 million of that from Japan with 9.38 million tickets sold nearing the 10 million ticket mark sold which is you know a bit of a landmark in China, in Japan uh, and going back to RR from India that 66 million dollar total this past weekend puts it at number 13 of the all-time worldwide Indian box office um, Indian Film Box Office, notably with most Western countries and those studios boycotting Russia uh, due to the Indian-Russian geopolitical relationship, which I'm not really sure of all the historical developments there, but suffice to say, you know, India is not boycotting Russia. Um, RRR actually opened in Russia with the widest opening of, of an Indian film in that country to date. Could not find an exact number of how much it made in the region, but it does add to the $3.8 million in overseas markets outside of India and the U.S. that RRR made made. made this weekend. Uh, going over to China, uh, they have a new release this weekend from Hollywood with Roland Emmerich's Moonfall. Um, now, while Moonfall ended its run stateside after only six weeks with $19 million total, not even doubling the $9.8 uh, opening weekend over there, uh, it's already grossed $9.7 in its first weekend in China. That's actually fairly close to the Batman's opening weekend of $11.4 million. Now, not surprising given the Chinese investment in this one. Um, so you know, I think that this one—I don't know if it'll make back the full 150 million production budget—but I think it'll do uh, okay. Um, now, second and third place were also Western films. Uh, the Batman had a pretty steep 73% drop in its second weekend, uh, running total of 17.8 million, um, and then Uncharted in second and a half, I guess, weekend um, made is now sitting at 13.5 million to date. Um, again, I think the forecast for those were somewhere in the 20 to 25 million total dollar range. Uh, Battle of Lake Chang Jing Part 2 continues to sit at number 4 with $634 million to date, too-cool-to-kill rounds of the top 5 at $410 million to date. Uh, China is depressed due to the uh, COVID surge over there with Shanghai uh, officially being in lockdown, which is kind of ironic given how, you know, Western films have been wanting to get back into China all this past couple of months. And when they finally do so, they have to deal with the pandemic again. Uh, There are some new films coming out for for Western films coming out in China over April. Um, You know, we already talked about Hotel Transylvania 4 coming out April 2nd. Um, Also, Escape Room 2 is going to be coming out that weekend. Um, And then we also mentioned Fantastic Beasts and The Secrets of Grindelwald will be coming to China a week early uh, ahead of the Western release on uh, April 8th. Um, and then, you know, Ambulance, the Michael Bay heist film starring Jake Gyllenhaal, will get an April 22nd release uh, two weeks after the U.S. release. And then the animated film Bad Guys from DreamWorks is going to get an April 29th release one week after the U.S. release. Now, speaking of uh, release dates, you know, all this is a bit ways away. In the US, it looks like Disney is confirming a theatrical exclusive release for Pixar's like earlier this summer, which I know a lot of people, possibly myself included, uh, were a little bit worried about given how they've been treating Turning Red and other Pixar films as of late. Uh, fi- speaking of turning red in diverse films, you know, the final bit of news before going on to my thoughts on the Batman. Uh, the 2022 Hollywood Diversity Report from UCLA researchers Darnell Hunt and Anna Christina Ramon found that six out of ten of the top ten films last year had a majority non-white audience, including Spider-Man No Way Home, on opening weekend, um, as well as two of the top ten streaming films, Vivo and Coming to America. Uh, in addition, eight of the top ten theatrically released films featured casts that had at least a 30% minority. Um, Overall, this kind of supports their hypothesis that more diverse films and more diverse movie-going audiences are going to be the key to helping the box office continue to recover. With that, the final episode uh, segment of this episode will be the first in a while of what I've been watching now that Oscar season is over. Um, though I will say you definitely should go watch Drive My Car uh, if you haven't yet. But again, my thoughts on that on my other podcast. Um, this past Saturday, while my dog was getting his uh, his bath and haircut at the groomers, my wife and I went to go see the three-hour Batman film. Now you know, obviously, there's already been a lot said. You know, it's, this is kind of like the best iteration of Batman as a detective. Um, I will say I do like Robert Pattinson. As a Batman, um, though I think he is a better Batman than he is perhaps a Bruce Wayne. Perhaps Um, definitely has the vibe of like a younger kind of like newer Batman. You know, two years in, but not quite the grizzled veteran. Um, But yeah, he definitely. I mean, he definitely can be a Bruce Wayne, but he does kind. I my image of Bruce Wayne always has like a certain degree of charisma to him, um, which you know I think Robert Pattinson. Has charisma, but not in the same way I do expect a young playboy billionaire, whatever that he's supposed to be as his cover story. Um, sewing here, um, the supporting cast is very excellent. Here, you know Jeffrey Wright as as uh, as uh, Commissioner Gordon, uh, Joey Kravitz as Catwoman, Andy Serkis as Alfred, Paul Dano as the Riddler. I mean, these are all really, really well done. I think um, you know I. Part of speaking of of Paul Dano as the Riddler, you know, there is a certain part of me that misses the more campy nature uh, of Batman villains from way back when. This is definitely a lot more like a serious, you know, Nolan esque take on it, though not Snyder esque. Um, but I do also appreciate you know the noir elements, especially like you know early on when Pattinson is like um, narrating over the dark. Um, the dark elements i would i would love to see perhaps maybe a guillermo del toro take uh on uh batman since you know he's really into the noir and kind of like the bizarre creature and 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 superheroes, super superhuman stuff um i will say kind of thematically you know they do there is kind of an interesting tension here where they try to basically tackle issues of corruption and race and class um you know what does it mean for you know Bruce will Bruce Wayne to be a, an orphan when really he's still essentially a billionaire, right? Um, and you know definitely calling out like you know the privileged white you know uh, um, you know corrupt individuals you know kind of ruling the city and so on, right? Like I think. It, it's interesting that it, it attempts to go I don't know if it fully resolves all of the questions around like what what should be done about all this right it's, and it, when it does it tries to do it's very much tell not so uh, which I think is a little bit less effective thematically I think um, I will also say you know it is definitely you definitely do start to feel the, the, two, the three hour length I think my wife was, was napping uh, at dozing off at certain parts of the film um, though apparently my parents my dad who usually dozes off at long films apparently didn't um, I will say though you know there is one segment that you know it did lead to a pretty interesting like pretty good chase scene um and really great visuals um but you know it, it did add it on like maybe like 20 extra minutes to the film that was all predicated on plot wise uh batman making a really fairly big mistake oversight that didn't really go anywhere Kind of felt okay like what was the point of all that basically right um so yeah i definitely feel like that um it definitely felt a little bit long, you know, for for maybe like the very the, all through the beginning, right, and maybe like the maybe like the last little bit, it, it was it was it was pretty well paced. I think it's like maybe like the the third quarter, I think, of the film maybe dragged on a little bit longer than it needed to. Um, but still, overall, I think I enjoyed the film, giving it overall a four out of five for sure. Uh, and I think that's a wrap for this episode. You know, suit me ideas for what else I should be watching and covering via Box Office Watch Podcast at com or on Twitter at BO Watch Podcast. You can find myself on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play. Make sure you subscribe or leave a review or just share it with a movie loving friend. Any of that helps. Consider supporting us over on Patreon. Uh, links to all that will be in our show notes. Numbers in the show come from dnumbers.com. Intro and auto music, Kevin Macleod, and Commentary.offermusic.io. Editing products on my Ninja Boy Media. Until next time, this has been the Box Office Watch Podcast. And remember or what's goes on